Take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. I'm Rachel Gilmore, Director of Recruiting, Assessing, and Training for Church Planters in the United Methodist Church, here with our latest episode of Field Preachers, and it is a very special episode for you. I'm here with Owen Ross. He is the Church Development, uh, the Director of Church Development for the North Texas uh, Annual Conference, but we have something else in common, so we're going to go back in time like a a decade or so to when both of us were Peace Corps volunteers, because as we've been talking and sharing about our experience in the Peace Corps with each other, we realized there are some parallels between what we experienced back then and what pastors and churches are going through right now. So welcome, Owen. Thank you. It's great to be here, especially uh, to talk about church planting and the Peace Corps. I know, right? And, and we're being very clear here. We did not join the Peace Corps to plant churches, right? Because that's a government thing. And That's right. Absolutely not. But I do believe that being in the Peace Corps prepared me more to plant my church than any other training I ever received. What about you? I'll absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, so I, I was a parachute drop uh, church plant. And so just being you know, dropped into a community and said, go meet people and, and start a church. Uh, there's some close similarities to the Peace Corps. You get dropped in a village. Now you are appointed a, a counterpart. And so you do have some local people already, you know, set up to work with you. But then you still have to figure out, you know, who is going to, who's going to work with you, uh, how to gather people. And a lot of those same principles of, of gathering that you do in church planting is the same thing you do with uh, doing Peace Corps. Absolutely. So, so I'm an RPCV uh, from, I was in Bulgaria from 2004 to 2006 out in Eastern Europe. Uh, what about you? When were you in the Peace Corps? Where were you? So I joined right after undergrad. So I was in Ecuador from 1996 to 1998. I was in the rural, rural areas in the Western lowlands. And uh, I was working in the area of animal husbandry. And I became an expert on pigs. And I had raised pigs in high school. I was in the Future Farmers of America. Uh, my grandfather was a pig farmer. And so I had exposure. But I spent Again, another parallel for church planting. I spent my first year learning a lot. And uh, we started a feed plant. We, we did some genetic improvements. We got a contract with a, with a, a big grocery store chain. And it was, a, it, was a, it was a fantastic experience. Toughest job I ever loved. Yes, I love that. I love that slogan. And that for me, I just finished um, undergrad as well, but I got married. So within nine, nine months after our wedding day, my husband and I both got off a plane in Bulgaria, not even knowing that like the alphabet and we had to live in separate villages for the first like three months of language training. So that enticed me to learn the language very quickly so I could buy a train ticket and go see my husband on the weekends. It was crazy. He was in Iktiman, this small town. I was in Kostanets. And then when we got our permanent assignment, we were in a, a, I mean, a larger town. It was like 30,000 people. That's like massive for Peace Corps standards. But we were the only two native English speakers in that town right on the Danube River uh, bordering Romania in Loam. So we were teachers. I taught, um, I had 300 students 
from first grade through eighth grade. And then we worked with a local orphanage in town and with the United Nations developing a curriculum to prevent trafficking in persons in the Northwest uh, region of our country. So, but same as you, you're like dropped off. I didn't know anything. My host family didn't speak any English. So it's like sink or swim. And that prepared me for my parachute drop as well. Oh, um, it also, I don't know what the weather was like there, but in Bulgaria, it would be freezing in the wintertime and they had no central heat. So, you know, people going stir crazy being at home with the coronavirus and this, you know, the, the shelter in place orders, it's not all that unfamiliar for us because for three to six months out of the year, we lived in one room in our apartment because it was the only one with heat. So <laughs> at least I have a bigger house to hang out in for a few months. Um, but I don't know. Oh, these are crazy times. So we are going to pull some of the tricks of the trade that we learned about in the Peace Corps to share with church planters or pastors trying to navigate a new reality for them, right? Do you feel like um, church planters or pastors there in North Texas are just adapting to this new reality and what it means to be church online? Yeah, it was fun. Yesterday, I got to visit a lot of our churches online from rural churches to, to our larger churches and really enjoyed the experience. The You know, with the smaller churches, they were sitting there just taking prayer petitions like they do in a normal worship service. And so I was able to type in my prayer petition and hear my name right there on, you know, right there in the service, which was really cool. Uh, and then I went to one of our larger churches and they had, they had, uh, their musicians did a recording at home individually, but it was all blended together with the words and it was just really a cool worship experience and also was, was very engaging. And so the, uh, we see both large church, small churches finding ways to be engaging and engaging uh, their audience. And so it's taking uh, a lot of adapting practices, which again, Peace Corps is excellent for teaching, teaching you how to adapt. <laughs> Absolutely. You get to town and you're like, oh my goodness, what is here? What do I have to work with? How am I going to make it happen? And I feel like I saw such a huge improvement. I don't know about you, but just from last week to this week in terms of how comfortable pastors were, you know, last week, sometimes the camera was, you know, the wrong direction or they weren't sure if they were live or not. And it was, they, you could tell that they were being courageous, but they were not comfortable in this yeah. new environment and, and they're really learning quickly. I was impressed. Yeah, I saw the same. And, and so, um, we're next week is going to be Holy week and the pastors are going to be, uh, just challenged to step it up again. How are they going to do all these different, uh, different worship services during the week? And, uh, and I, I'm, we're having, a podcast that you're going to be participating in. And um, so hopefully be stirring up some ideas and, and be learning from one another. Absolutely. Well, and learning from another, I think that's another thing that I don't know about you, but I really learned in the Peace Corps is as, as you're just getting to know anybody and everybody, you're trying to find those change agents, like those people with the true innovative ideas who have built trust in the community that you can partner with to get so much more done. And I feel like that is a crucial element for churches right now to be saying, okay, who, who are our young people that can be like our social media ambassadors and help us figure this out or figure out how to connect with people in this new reality? Yeah, it's where I really kind of developed this mantra that I 
I always share with my staff is work with the people who want to work. Uh, instead of spending all your energy trying to convince people to do something, find those that want to do something and, and work with them. And I really learned that in the Peace Corps because the, the president of the organization that I was a part of wouldn't come to any of my stuff, wouldn't promote it. And I went to him one day and I said, I think you want a Peace Corps volunteer just to have a gringo to drink beer with. And you know what? I'll oblige you. <laughs> and, and so I quit trying to have these meetings, quit trying to do these things. And, but there was this one farmer, Pepon uh, is what they called him. Jose was his name. And, uh, and Jose, he was like, let's try it. So he tried this new way of raising pigs that I was trying to promote and he made some money. And after that, I was very, very busy. <laughs> so it's similar in church planting, find those who want to work. Um, and when, and when God touches their life and has an impact on them, get that story out and, and then people will connect. And, and that was, um, that was key in the work in the Peace Corps and key in church planting is find those who want to work. There's a church here in Dallas that, um, have uh, their church volunteer church members volunteering every night to read a bedtime story uh, for kids. And so it's keeping all the church connected with one another because who doesn't want to volunteer to read their favorite children's book um, on the evening. And so now they're, you know, the, the church is connecting in the evening and the pastor says a prayer and it's really a, it's one of the more special things that I've seen that a, that a church has done and it's working with those who want to work and, and, and it's connecting the congregation. I love that. And I love that it's a reminder so often as pastors, um, you know, we think that we have to be the central hub of everything. We have to be the face. We have to be out there as the figurehead. And that's really not true. And in this new reality of church, it can't be true. Because as a, as a pastor, you can't be the one every single day trying to set your alarms to read those books or do those devotionals. But, you know, if you do one thing a week, and I love that, the story of the church members reading books. I've heard of some other churches where, like, the worship leader is organizing a Zoom room dance party you know, one night a week and all the kids can come and dance and go crazy or youth pastors are doing scavenger hunts with the youth where they run through their homes and try to find things and do challenges to stay connected. But, you know, it really does take a village. You've got to work together with those who want to work. And I feel like now, um, as opposed to other times, perhaps people are going a little stir crazy. So maybe they are more willing to, to step up and volunteer to take the lead on something when it comes to social media and the church. Yeah, I mean, it's a great time to be, be asking people, hey, can you help? And then find ways to engage them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I know something that a lot of church planters I've been talking to are struggling with that I faced a lot in the Peace Corps as well is limited resources. You know, I have, you don't get paid a lot as a Peace Corps volunteer, and you don't always have a lot to work with to try to create and design, you know, these sustainable um projects or programs in your community and and a lot of church plants even established churches when it comes to you know giving or sustaining their ministry it's super tough uh what are some words of encouragement or ideas or things you're seeing or hearing about that are bringing you hope 
yeah, we're storm. Um, uh, and so like, uh, <laughs> kind of going in and out, uh, on me, uh, but that, uh, you know, one thing that we were able to do here in the North Texas conference and, and it's part of my kind of looking back, uh, my hesitancy to ask just, um, from congregants and the fear of, oh, if we're talking about money, I'll scare them away. If, um, well, I don't want to be that pastor who talks about money every Sunday. And, but I looked in hindsight, and I said, you know, um, people's lives fall around money or making money most of the time, uh, or thinking about how to make money or how to want to spend money. And, and so what we've adjusted here in the Nexus Conference, we've moved grants, matching grants, so that um, to encourage pastors to tell their congregation, hey, if you give, uh, it'll, be, it'll be matched by the North Texas Conference at some, at some portion. Uh, so it's building connection, but it's also uh, pastors to, to talk about money and invite people for uh, to give. And I was at planted a Spanish language church in an Emmer church. Um, it's a low income area, but I've, I've always just seen and been amazed about how generous the poorest among us can be. Uh, and I found that true when I was in the, in the Peace Corps with the generosity of the people that I worked with, as well as, uh, when I was pastoring La Fundición de Cristo Christ Foundry here in Dallas. Mm, I love that. So That's uh, you are frozen. And so I'm assuming you can't oh, hear me either. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. So I'm now doing this with my, with my phone. So this is another, it was a, just a reminder of the Peace Corps where technology does not cooperate <laughs> hardly ever. <laughs> well, when I was in the Peace Corps, so I was in the Peace Corps in, you know, 96 to 98. And so the internet was just getting, and so the internet came to our town, but it, I mean, it was so slow. And, you know, I had to go an hour to even, uh, you know, check email or anything like that. Uh, so I didn't have much technology out where I was. It was pretty, uh, pretty uh, rustic. I mean, my, primary uh, means of transportation was a horse and so I had a I had a horse and had a bicycle and anyway it was, it was different times but you know even in 2004 to 2006 in Bulgaria which was an EU country like we had it was so expensive it was like a dollar per minute to use your phone so like neither of us I think we shared one like flip phone that we would just text occasionally on no laptops, the Wi-Fi was unpredictable, so we used like tape recorders to record our voices and mailed messages back and forth to family, so <laughs> it was a little old school. Now, there were horse and buggies all around town, that's how we got around, but we did have like an old-fashioned electric train to get us to the capital city, so. Well, I would go to town uh, uh, once, a, uh, once a month and would sit by the phone and just wait for people to call. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so at least something churches today have going for them is it's easier to communicate and connect with people. This um, uh, season that we're in for 
for churches to have this kind of technology and to be able to connect with their congregants, to be able to worship together um, in the Peace Corps. You know, I was, if I wanted Holy Communion, there was a Catholic church, which wasn't supposed to serve me. And there was the Mormon. And I mean, those were my two choices. Closer, but but the fact that I was going to finish Peace Corps and go into seminary meant that they were not always thrilled to have us at the church. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not me taking well, I, I was fortunate that we had a Catholic uh, priest from Boston and he liked me. He liked just having somebody to speak English to. And, and he would serve me communion, but I can remember before I met him, um, I, I having my own little communion service and, you know, by myself and I'm sure no one would have counted it, but it, it, it counted for me and it meant a lot for me. And so I think, you know, as we're entering into this debate of, of online communion or not online communion, you know, I think about Peace Corps volunteers and, and people who are, don't have access. And, I, and I'm hoping that this helps the church rethink its position, allow pastors and to serve communion virtually. So, Yeah, so true. A few weeks ago, I was um, with a group of church planters at that early Methodism pilgrimage. I think there were some North Texans there. I think there were more from North Texas than anywhere else, as a matter of fact. But we went to Robert Strawbridge's shrine out there in Maryland, and he was a lay person, and he got into trouble with Francis Asbury for serving communion. But he's like, where are you? No one is here, and they want communion. What am I going to do? I'm not going to say no. So, you know. Right. Well, I think it's I think it's the field preaching of today. You know, Wesley was not supposed to be preaching out in the field because that, you know, you have to do it inside the temple. Well, Holy Communion, you have to do it, you know, inside the temple or. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I think this is the, the field preaching of today. And so I am I am hoping that it, um, it'll help us move into that that new way. And not just for this season, but for, you know. Peace Corps volunteers that are in areas where they can't get Holy Communion any any other way, yeah. and so um, so even like the love feast liturgies that I'm seeing or the agape meals. I mean, that's all good, but we've got we've got to start thinking outside of the box. Even as the church in America, folks might become really comfortable with this online connection and way of worshiping. And um, I don't know what adaptations are we making now that that will remain even. Yeah. Well, I, I, I believe most of these churches that have never done any, anything online and are now doing it. I'm assuming that they're going to continue um, when this is over. So I do think this is going to be a way that uh, is going to enable the church to reach more people than ever. An unintended consequence of, of all of this. And one way that God will work in this and through it is God works in all things. Um, doesn't cause all things, but works in all things. Uh, and it's going to work in this. Absolutely. Um, so share a little bit about what funding might look like or how, how you are seeing or encouraging pastors and planters in North Texas to rethink their resources where it feels like there's more scarcity now than before. Yeah, there's uh, you know, definitely a sense of scarcity. And, um, you know, before this, you know, we were in a really boom economy and economy was booming here in, in North Texas. Uh, and I, I think it, 
money discipleship, I, I think it still goes back to doing discipleship around money and also asking. I remember going to a training where uh, it says the one who has not, knows not, or asks not. Mm. And, and you know, not knowing where the money is and are not asking for it once you do. And so what, we, what we've done in the North Texas conference with our funding of church plants, we've moved them all to matching funding because when we were doing block funding, we found that block funding uh, decreases giving, decreases generosity, and uh, matching funding increases. And so we've moved all of them all to, to matching funding so that they will be going to their relatives when they're going to plant a church to ask for funds, that they will be more uh, quicker to ask for congregants to give and support the ministry. And, and also that um, uh, I went and was trained by a, a church finance guy, and he says, we used to think get people involved and then they'll stop, start giving. Well, we found people would get really involved and they never started giving. Encouraging pastors to um, to ask for money and and to ask sooner for people to be in to be invested in the ministry because if their treasure gets invested in the ministry, uh, so will their heart. And so it's very much a discipleship aspect and and requires asking. When I was in the Peace Corps, I was trying to start this uh, this pig project and and we were wanting people to raise pigs in different places and raise it in this new way, which required a larger investment. Well, a friend of mine uh, did a pig project as well and brought in all these male pigs and was going to cross them with the, with the, with what they call the Creole pigs, which are those, you know, long snout, uh, real strong, real resistant pigs. And so she brought in all of these male pigs and gave them away to, to people for them to cross uh, breed with their, with their pigs to increase the genetics, increase the meat production. Well, what she found, as soon as those pigs got uh, big enough to eat, people ate their free pig. Oh, wow. Whereas with the project that I did, they had to pay for it. They had to buy the pig. They had to invest in it. And when they bought it and they invested in it, then they, I mean, they cared for it more because their, their heart was in it. And, um, and our project turned out to be really successful and the other project uh, did not. I think that's a very good lesson for church planters. Of not, don't be afraid to ask people uh, to invest in your ministry because if, if their treasure is in your ministry, then their heart will be also. And so encouraging I mean, at whatever, I mean, even if you're planting in a low-income area like I was, so that's why we've changed to matching funds here in the North Texas Conference. Wow, I love that. And when it comes to encouragement that I've been given to pastors for trying to figure out for the first time how to ask for donations, um, I'm reminded of when I was in the Peace Corps and we worked with an orphanage, we realized like these kids, they only had like one set of sheets for their bed. And even some of the like the 15, 16, 17 year olds would maybe sometimes wet the bed because of psychological issues and abandonment. And when you only have one set of sheets, like what does that mean for you? And so we use the power of story to really communicate to people in that community and then back home what, what these kids were experiencing, how hard life was. And when we were able to share a story of how they could transform lives, oh my goodness, we were like, okay, fine, we got plenty, we got enough money to get them all a second set of sheets and a washing machine and a new front door. And, um, and we even had enough money left over to fund uh, what we called 
Well, what the orphans started calling the King's Feast. So we had extra money left over and we realized, again, with the power of story, transformation and connection, that these kids had never once in their entire lives been served meat for a meal. It was typically just bread. So we had enough left over to get them all a hamburger, a hot dog, an apple, a Pepsi. And they were like, oh my goodness. So they called it the King's Feast because they had never in their whole lives eaten like that. And we had Peace Corps volunteers from around the country come and eat with them. And it, to me, it was just like a symbol of what incarnation looks like, what it means to dwell in your community, to realize their needs, and then to create a space where they can connect with each other and celebrate. Even though it didn't seem like much for me, like a hamburger and a Pepsi, we eat that all the time. For them, it was life-changing. And I feel like at this time, with what churches are experiencing, they have a similar opportunity. Like, how can they gather people together, not in person, but online, and tell that story? Because when you tell that story, other people want to become a part of it, too. Um, and pass it on. So, so it's not impossible to do. It's just thinking differently and outside of the box, which is so hard for so many of us. So, yeah. Uh, but not for Peace Corps volunteers. So, uh, because you are thrown out of the out of your box when you're when you get in the Peace Corps, you're thrown out of your box. Things that you know there was a saying in Ecuador saying, "You can get anything you want in Ecuador, but you're gonna have trouble getting anything you need." <laughs> And I mean, it was, you could like, you could find stuff, you could get stuff, but I mean, it would take creativity, create adapting and, you know, figuring things out. And so being thrown out of the box, uh, you know, taught me how to operate out of the box. And so yeah. when I got thrown in a, a church planting and I was planting a Spanish language church, which I'd never been a part of a Spanish language church in my life. I didn't know one hymn in Spanish. I didn't. I remember I was writing a sermon and I was like, mercy. How do you say mercy in Spanish? I was like, how did I go two years? I had no mercy on those pigs, I guess, because I never <laughs> I never learned the word for mercy in Spanish. And so uh, it was really a, another out of the box experience with having to uh, you know, learn to plant a church in a different culture than uh, than my own. And but every church, every entity, every neighborhood has its own has its own little culture. I, you know, you go into these these churches. Every Sunday school class has its own unique little you know subculture that's operating in. And Peace Corps helps you identify you know those things that you know I just took as normal and was like, no, that's that's just that's a that's just part of my culture. And being able to read culture and adapt to culture um, is uh, is essential for for pastor, any pastor, and especially for church planters. Absolutely, absolutely. So someday when like this whole quarantine thing ends and we can get out and about, I would love. We need to work together and come up with some sort of like immersion two week program where we throw church planters or even pastors out in a totally foreign environment so they learn some of these amazing tools that I'm just so grateful for. I hated it at the time. It was exhausting. Sometimes I battled like depression because I'm like, I can't even get ketchup or ground beef. Like what is wrong with my life? There are no <laughs> chocolate chips in Eastern Europe. Like it should not be this way. <laughs> but just developing that grit and that awareness that I don't have to quit, that these people are amazing. And they became, I mean, my husband and I brought our kids back two years ago to visit all of that same town where we lived and our neighbors. 
because the relationships that you form when you're willing to think outside of the box and engage in a new environment and really adapt, um, it changes you and it bonds you together. And I feel like I'm hopeful that pastors will feel this way as well when, when we're able to go out and about and gather physically again. Um, they'll still want to maintain those strong connections that may have emerged during this time where they meet for the first time face-to-face, you know, in six or eight weeks when we're gathering together in person again. Yeah, and, and in, in this new virtual, virtual culture um, that pastors are having to, to learn how to navigate, as well as congregants are having to learn how to, to navigate, um, I think that... Uh, that, um, that experimentation of I'm going to try this, see if it works. If it doesn't, is it's just essential. And I think those, as you're talking about, um, you know, that connecting world. In the same way that that pastor was in the small church was asking for prayer requests. When I made a comment on the that mega churches, I got contacted by one of the pastors who. Thanked me for, um, who thanked me for attending their church, and so seeing that they're um, these pastors are learning the virtual world and the importance of connection in the virtual world is, um, and just a recognition of it's as important to connect in the virtual world as it was in the uh, in the real world. <laughs> Absolutely. And those will be tools they can carry with them for the rest of their life as well and hopefully pass on to others in some way. Yeah. Absolutely. And I do think on the other side of this, uh, I'm anticipating most of our pastors who began doing online working, worship and, uh, and building community online will continue that work. That's amazing because our world needs it for sure. Um, our world needs it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Owen, you are really awesome. I'm so grateful just to know you and to hear your story, to find that Peace Court connection. We'll start a little club here and um, <laughs> get our training together for some day. Yeah, I look forward to us visiting more about the Peace Corps days and all that we learned from that. And it would be fun to try to uh, recreate a, a Peace Corps-like training for church planters. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm already thinking about the places I would take them overseas and what they would have to do and eat and sing and drink. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh my. If they can avoid the stomach issues that I went through, I, would, I don't wish that on anyone. <laughs> oh, yeah, the parasites, all that kind of stuff. We'll help them. We'll, everyone will survive our training, right? But they'll... they'll yes. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Owen, for sharing your, your time in the Peace Corps with us and then for all you're doing now in North Texas to create and sustain ministry. Well, thank you. We appreciate all your support and the way that you've just been connecting us and providing resources for, the, for our conference and for the developers and bringing us together. So we really do appreciate you, Rachel, and I look forward to being with you uh, again tomorrow. Yeah, sounds awesome. Thank you so much. All right, take care, Owen. And thank you to everyone listening for joining on our latest edition of Field Preachers. Take care. Field Preachers podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.